Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast. I'm Tin and Dugeb, which is an anagram of obtained urine. You see, you learn something new every single day. I've been writing and recording some of this week's episode from the very heart of the European Union, Belgium. Well, not quite the heart, as I've been in Antwerp, not Brussels. So it's more the sort of left common carotid artery of the EU. Yeah, I looked that up and I probably haven't said it properly. And yes, I still feel pretty clever about it. Um, I've been doing all these really amazing shows over there with some poets, jazz musicians, and then me being the only comedian letting the whole kind of culture side of it down. Um, But Belgian audiences totally like that, and they don't get all confused as to what type of show it is, which is amazing. Though I have learnt that if a jazz band tells you that they're playing just one more song and then you're on, it still means that you have a ridiculously long time to wait until your bit. So, uh, despite being in Belgium uh, and asking a few people I know and then generally tweeting, I completely failed to get an interview for this week with anyone about EU stuff, which is probably to do with only having five hours in Brussels itself and that five hours was on a Sunday, which isn't the best day to do it. It's almost as if Twitter can't solve all of the problems. Crazy, huh? Anyway, um, I asked various Belgians what they did think of the EU while I was there, and they all said really interesting things like, It's okay, I guess. I'm glad we have it. I don't really know. I don't think about it much. Before, they just cycled off. A bigger issue in Belgium at the moment is actually the general anti-refugee sentiment, much like a lot of Europe. Just in the past week, the governor of West Flanders, Carl Decalou, I've probably said that wrong, told aid workers not to feed refugees as it will just attract more to the area. Now, there's a chance that he's confused migrants with migrating pigeons, as that's definitely not how humans work with food. Otherwise, working in a supermarket would be terrifying. Don't open the doors! One of them smelled bread and now there's 6,000 people outside! One of the most hypocritical things about this governor's really callous statement is that he's part of CDNV, which is the Belgian Christian Democratic Party, and saying not to feed people is pretty unchristian, right? Or is that what actually happened in the Bible when Jesus said he fed the 5,000? 
Did he only mean to give bread and fish to one guy, but then suddenly tons of others just turned up? Anyway, what I was trying to say is, uh, as forewarned, there's no interview this week, but fear not, it's not just my boring voice the whole way through. I'll be dissecting the recent UKIP party broadcast because, well, I thought it was really awful and a load of nonsense, so you get to hear their boring voice as well. And the crowd rejoiced! Thanks again for listening to this show and your lovely comments on the iTunes. We've now had nine of them, all of which say nice things and have boosted us into the new and noteworthy section of the comedy bit, which is great. So if you have any other nice things to say, please do. And if you don't have nice things to say, why not try singing or humming some instead? So, this week... Junior doctors went on a March protest on Saturday, again against Jeremy Hunt's proposed contract changes, and they're due to go on strike again for 24 hours on Wednesday, February the 10th. Jeremy Hunt has accused the doctors of being totally irresponsible, at which point most of the nation's pots and kettles all gave up and resigned. Jeremy Hunt insists that current junior doctors' contracts are unfair, but won't explain why he wants to make them even worse and instead saying that the British Medical Association are spreading misinformation. What? Misinformation? Like when Jeremy Hunt said that under the new contract, junior doctors would get a pay rise when they're actually getting a pay cut? Hmm. If you head back to episode one, you can hear our brilliant interview with Keir Shields for more info on it all. Universal Credit, uh, a system that should probably actually be named internationally panned, has been investigated by the Institute of Fiscal Studies. They say that it's going to have a really damaging effect on millions of working families, and in the words of the Equality Trust, would leave the poorest running up the down escalator. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but I think it stopped being easy at some point in my mid-twenties, and even then, it mostly just annoyed the other people on it. Ian Duncan Smith originally stated that his crap idea number 6732, Universal Credit, would make work pay. Which is A, what work is meant to do, otherwise it's slave labour, and B, with families now set to lose 76p to every £1 they earn, it's really not going to pay very much. The Department of Work and Pensions has responded to this report by doing what it always does and pretending they've not heard anything that it says. They said it was great that the analysis shows that universal credit will make work pay and increase financial incentives for people to work more. Those financial incentives obviously being avoiding homelessness and not starving to death. This week in the US, the Iowa caucus was held. I still don't really know what a caucus is. It sounds like some type of healthy food or the state that a dead body could be in. Anyway, this one was the first for the party presidential nominations and lots of important political outcomes were decided by really ancient methods like tossing a coin, which sort of proves that US elections are even more about money than we already thought. In the Democrats, the uh, two leads were Hillary Clinton, who's a woman that strikes me a lot as someone who says, I don't mean to be rude, but all of the time, uh, and Bernie Sanders, who I think is a minor character from Cheers. Hillary beat Bernie by 0.3%, which is mainly due to a preference from older voters, and Bernie was favoured by younger voters who are hoping for a pocket money increase or extra toffees next time they visit him. 
For the Republicans, there was Vampire in a Tanning Salon, Ted Krutz, and Broken Windsock being humped by a Shih Tzu, Donald Trump. Ted Krutz beat Donald Trump by a three-point lead, which is great news as it just means that a different psychopath is in the lead to the one we were worried about. Final candidates to run for president will be chosen in July with the full election in October, which is when we all get to see who gets to run that one big country that operates like 50 smaller dysfunctional ones. Woohoo! I'll do a little bit more explaining of it all on Partly Political as it gets nearer the time. If you thought there was only one way to Brexit, you are wrong. It seems there are actually enough ways to scarper from the EU that Paul Simon could write a song about it. As a result, there are loads and loads of anti-EU campaign groups, all of which seem to be squabbling between them, who knows how to best leave a thing, and all of them hoping that the Prime Minister will choose their group as the official out campaign. Merger attempts between the groups this week have caused the Labour MP Kate Hoey to quit the Vote Leave group. Vote Leave is made up of various Conservative MPs, UKIP's Douglas Carswell and is headed up by Lord Nigel Lawson, a man that wants to leave the EU so much that he lives in France. Not only that, but the donor of Vote Leave, Peter Crudus, has just signed a document warning of the risks of leaving the EU for his company CMC Markets. So, you know... They're really committed to the cause, this bunch. Kate Hoey is still part of the Labour Leave group and is now supporting the Grassroots Out group, which has branded ties that make all the members look like they work in an alternate reality version of PC World, where staff have even less of a clue about what's going on. Grassroots Out is also largely made up of some of the worst people on the planet, including Liam Fox and Nigel Farage. I'm fairly sure I'd have a lot more trust in a campaign led by a piece of half-eaten toast. All of this has happened in the aftermath of David Cameron's EU deal, which included an emergency break to stop providing in-work benefits to EU migrants for four years. This largely ignores the slowing of UK wage growth that's led to needing in-work benefits in the first place, or any of the official figures that suggest most EU migrants don't need them anyway, but hey, emergency break sounds dramatic, right? I wonder if it only happens after we've all checked our mirrors and Cameron slaps his hand on the dashboard. The emergency break might not actually cut all benefits. It could instead, for example, just cut child benefits to be the same as that of the EU migrants' home country. Which would of course cause heaps of confusion for the Department of Work and Pensions, and considering how confused they already are about how to run the benefit system here, imagine how they deal with 28 countries' different benefit rates. Woohoo! The draft bill also included allowing the House of Commons to band together with other EU parliaments to red-card Brussels legislations, and that British taxpayers won't be liable to support the Eurozone, and loads of other tiny clauses that make it sound like Cameron has very much noticed that there's a small I in union. This draft has already been backed by Denmark, who are currently vehemently anti-immigrant which I always think is an odd choice, considering that their ancestors were Vikings who were the worst immigrants the world ever saw. I mean, they didn't just take jobs, they set fire to them. But aside from the Danes, Cameron's EU deal really hasn't impressed anyone in the UK. 
I mean, it's not pro-EU enough for some, and it's not strong enough for the out campaigners. Love child of a bag of piglets bred with Wurzel Gummidge, Boris Johnson, said that the deal needed much, much more, and it seems it really hasn't changed anyone's minds who already knew how they'd be voting in the referendum. The Prime Minister has asked MPs to vote with their heart, or, you know, if it's one of the MPs that doesn't have one of those, I guess flipping a coin would do. Works in America. David Cameron also asked that we judge him by his EU deal, but I'm guessing that's only because, as shoddy as it is, it's still not as bad as all the other stuff we'll probably judge him on instead. The Prime Minister is obviously concerned that his draft has received a lukewarm welcome, resorting to making up facts based on a possible exit. On Monday, he warned that leaving the EU could bring migrant camps like the Calais jungle to Britain. Which it couldn't, as that is a totally separate agreement from the EU that's just between the UK and France. Dave's getting all his treaties confused there. I think maybe he should treaty himself to a proper read of what the EU does. Though it might be an idea for us to build a Calais jungle for ourselves anyway, just to ensure there is some sort of affordable accommodation somewhere in the south of England. We just aren't going to know how all this will pan out until the referendum, which is predicted as being on June the 23rd. Which is a great time for elections, you know, coming in just after a London mayor one and a local election in May. I mean, that way, people really won't be bothered to vote in this one after going out on a Thursday for those ones. And between now and then, it's kind of up to the vote stay and vote leave parties to persuade those that can be bothered to vote to go their way based on whichever mistruths and unresearched figures that they're peddling. I mean, that's of course if all the vote leave lot haven't already left their own campaign by then. I mean, maybe they just like leaving stuff. Though if that is the case, it'd be really nice if maybe they just left us all alone. I had the misfortune of seeing UKIP's latest partly political broadcast as it was shown just after BBC News last Wednesday. I mean... Calling it a party political broadcast is probably a little bit unfair, as it contains so many inaccuracies, it's pretty much just a work of fiction. The film seems to be an anti-tourist board advert for Turkey, uh, wish you weren't here, if you like, listing reason after reason why the EU is a bad thing, mainly because Turkey may be in it at some point. Ofcom are currently investigating the advert after several complaints of racial offence, Islamophobia and bias against Turkey. I think part of the problem is that, sort of a bit like Ricky Gervais's Derek, we weren't quite sure if it was meant to be a comedy or not. So, I thought I'd dissect it all for you piece by piece and explain what they got wrong, or, I mean, if anything, got right. I'm not 100% sure, but I think this might be the music for the Zabek dance, which is from the 17th century but still performed today in Turkey, where dancers simulate being hawks. Which I suppose is suitable, as like Hawks, UKIP also go for a lot of carry-on. Over the top of this music, they show the Turkish flag, and in big letters, white letters obviously, they've emblazoned the risks of staying in the EU number one. Which I guess unfortunately means this might be part of a series, despite the pilot not doing very well. Number one, Turkey joins in 2020. Question mark? I mean, it's a silly question. Everywhere will join in with 2020. That's how time works. Then there's several newspaper headlines, some dating back several years, all speculating on whether Turkey will join the EU. 
Because we all know that if a newspaper headline says something, it's definitely going to happen, right? You know, like all those millions and zillions of Bulgarians that those newspapers predicted would come in 2015. And now here we are, surrounded by them, huh? I mean, there's one on my laptop right now, and another on my knee, and three in the butter tray. Oh, damn those newspapers. Behind me is the Bosphorus, the ancient waterway that historically separates east from west. Correct. That's actually a fact. Now, I've tried to find out who this presenter is, but oddly, her name isn't listed anywhere. I mean, you'd think you'd want a dubious, possibly racist, unresearched advert on your presenting show reel or CV, wouldn't you? I mean, think of all the work you could get. You know, broadcasts for Britain first, or... Uh... No, no, that's it. She's blonde and all dressed in black like she wants to deliver milk tray or something. Oh, God. Do you think she's a spy and snuck into the country illegally? Like an illegal immigrant? Whoa. 97% of Turkey is actually in Asia. Only 3% is in Europe. But what if the whole country were to become a member state of the European Union? Well, that would extend the borders of what would then be known as Europe all the way to Iraq, Iran and Syria. Yeah, what if Turkey joined the EU in 2020? Well, firstly, it's not the Eurovision Song Contest. I mean, countries can't just join the EU willy-nilly because they like watching stuff about it on the TV. Okay, Australia? It is very unlikely Turkey will be joining the EU in the next four years. According to the Foreign Office, I mean, there's a chance that it will join in the next decade, but only if the country makes some really substantial changes, including, amongst many, many others, Turkey's relationship with Greece, improving its implementation of women's rights, and its law that punishes anyone that publicly criticises Turkey with a prison sentence. So, if you live in Turkey, no making adverts about how it shouldn't join the EU, okay? So, it's really not going to happen anytime soon. There's 35 different chapters of renegotiation for the EU deal, and at the moment, they're only on number 13. So, chances are, we'll be more likely to see George R.R. Martin finish the Game of Thrones books before we see Turkey join the EU. But yeah, if that happened, it would extend the EU border to Iraq, Iran and Syria, in the same way that if we let the US join, then it would border with Canada and Mexico. Hey, well done for reading a map and making up some ideas, Missy. Hey, have you thought about helping George R.R. Martin? The population of Turkey is currently at 75 million, but that is projected to rise by 9 million come 2023. Wrong-ish. That is according to the Turkish Statistical Institute. The UN actually says that growth will be slower than that and declining, especially after 2050. So by the time it joins the EU, if it joins the EU, its population might be smaller than... That would make Turkey the EU's largest member state. Turkey could potentially be entitled to have the maximum number of seats in the European Parliament that a country can occupy, with 96 MEPs. The UK only gets 73. Yeah, but unlikely, pound shop Anthea Turner, there can only be 750 seats in the EU overall, and they're passed out based on various different treaties. And while smaller countries have fewer residents for each MEP, it's not a compulsory requirement. Plus, considering how they won't be in the EU in 2020 anyway, if they were, I doubt the EU would just say, hey, have all the seats you like. Though, considering how rarely UKIP MEPs turn up to the EU Parliament anyway, I'm sure there's always a few seats going spare. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Also an extra. Because they spell MEPs with an apostrophe at the end. You think if UKIP wanted to live in England, they'd learn to write the language, eh? If Turkey were already a member of the EU... Yeah, but it's not, and it won't be. Oh, God, I wish I'd had someone to interview this week. Then technically, she could expect to receive one-third of the EU's entire structural aid budget, a whopping £11 billion, and a further £8 billion in farming subsidies, three times more than UK farmers receive. It would also mean that Turkey would be getting out as much as the UK taxpayer is paying in. Okay, I'm not really being fair here with those buzzers. This bit isn't exactly wrong, but that is only because there isn't any way to find out how they got any of those numbers. EU funds are decided on all sorts of factors, as are farming subsidies, and UKIP haven't responded to any requests as to where they got these numbers from. Professional. So it could be right, but chances are, based on their current record with numbers and facts... It's probably a ton of borek. With an average monthly salary in Turkey of just £429, compared to 2200 in the UK, it's predicted as many as 15 million migrants could leave for Europe within the first 10 years of EU membership. Bearing in mind that Turkey isn't going to join the EU by 2020 anyway, then let's check facts. There are eight EU states with a lower average monthly salary than Turkey, and Turkey is actually the 18th largest economy in the world, according to the World Bank and IMF. Again, quell surprise! Sorry for speaking European there. There are no sources for the figures of 15 million migrants at all, so it is probably made up by a bloke in a pub. The Home Affairs Select Committee reckons the actual numbers would be more like between 500,000 to 4.4 million. Although, bear in mind that with that £429 a month, Turkish people don't have to pay for the sort of rent or mortgage prices we do in the UK or our crap weather. Or adverts like this on the TV. So you sort of wonder if they'd bother coming over at all. 
In Turkey, it's actually a criminal offence to criticise the government that could land you with a jail sentence. Last year, nine journalists were sent to prison in Turkey. On a list of press freedoms, Turkey ranks 149th out of 180 countries. It might explain why I felt more comfortable filming this back here in the UK. So our presenters just revealed that A, she's some sort of journalist, which is impressive as she's not investigated any of her story so far. And B, that she's actually standing in front of a green screen in the UK all along. So that means when she said... Behind me is the Bosphorus, the ancient waterway that historically separates east from west. That was also incorrect. Unbelievable. I do wonder if she's not in Turkey due to press freedom, or if Farage didn't want to stump up the budget for a holiday so they just filmed in his shed in Kent. Also, top points for the asterisk that appears at the top of the screen saying, figures correct at the time of the recording. And that asterisk leads to a text that says Article 301. Somehow, I doubt that article's number will change even when recording finishes. As it's an article number, not figures. Sadly, the advert isn't wrong on press freedoms claim, which is one of the many issues on a long list of reasons why Turkey won't be in the EU in 2020 anyway. God, why am I still watching this? According to a United Nations report in 2011, women in Turkey are 10 times more likely to suffer physical violence than those in Europe. Except that same report said 39% of women in Turkey suffered from physical violence, but 19% in the UK did. And the average figure was 35% across Europe. So, yeah, it's a miserable statistic, but mathematically speaking, 39% isn't 10 times of 35%. How do you not know how numbers work? Oh, wait, that does sort of explain most of UKIP's campaign so far, doesn't it? One honour killing every single week in Istanbul alone, and more than a quarter of Turkish women are married before their 18th birthday. Again, very sadly, honour killings in Turkey have risen by 1,400% in the last few years. Though I couldn't find any official statistic that said one per day in Istanbul. But it is very serious and a very upsetting issue and another reason why Turkey isn't joining the EU anytime soon, making this entire advert pointless. As for women married before they're 18, it's probably worth reminding everyone that in the UK you can get married at 16 if you wish. And the anti-child marriage group, Girls Not Brides, says it's actually only 14% of Turkish women married before they're 18. So yeah, it's still not great, but it is not a quarter. I'm really starting to wonder if we should do a Kickstarter for UKIP just to redo their maths GCSE. And geography. And English. And just generally restart school until they've learned something. At the start of the last century... Oh, she's back in Turkey again. Or is she? I mean, considering we've been told she's in front of a green screen... Why are they bothering to superimpose Turkey in the background anymore? I mean, why not just stand her in a Weatherspoons as drunk Tony gives her official statistics that he's just thought of and scrawled them on a beer mat so she can read them as the results come in? At the start of the last century, one-fifth of the population of Turkey was Christian. But over the course of 100 years, that community has dramatically disappeared. Today, only 0.2% of people in Turkey practice Christianity openly. <laughs> In the UK, the number of Christians has dropped by nearly 5% per year, and there's a lot to say that many churches in city areas are only being kept alive by Eastern European churchgoers. So, you know, if we leave the EU, we might be even less of a Christian country. Is that what you want, UKIP? Is it? 
I mean, as for Turkey, well, it's never been that much of a Christian country in the first place, especially after so many were murdered in the Armenian Genocide. An event that until Turkey recognises, they can't join the EU! Recent changes to education policy has also seen a great number of state schools turned into Islamic imam schools, with many pupils who can't afford to pay for their schooling being forced to accept a religious education instead. When the current ruling party first came to power, the number of pupils registered at imam schools was 63,000. Today, that number is closer to a million. 9% of children in Turkey are taught in faith schools. Correct. But in the UK, 29% of all primary school children and 18% of all secondary school children are taught in faith schools. Or, as it seems from this video, not taught anything at all. Just days after filming outside the Hagia Sophia... You just said you didn't go to Turkey! Make your mind up! How do you not even know where you are? A suicide attacker detonated a bomb in the same location, killing 10 tourists. The assailant has been identified as an Islamic State affiliate who had come into the country from Syria. David Cameron has been pushing hard for Turkey to become the 29th member state. We, the British people, are not going to have a say on that. Particularly as it won't happen. I hate not having a say on fictional possibilities, don't you? Well, actually, I joke. But Prometheus, Indiana Jones 4 and the Star Wars prequels did make me think that sometimes we should have a say on fictional possibilities. This is just one of the major risks to Britain coming down the tracks from the EU. When the referendum comes, vote to leave. So you want us to not be in the EU, just like Turkey? Alright, nice twist M. Night Shyamalan. Though in many ways... The only film of his that really relates to UKIP is The Village. So all in all, that's 12... <coughs> and just one little... <coughs> I'm not surprised UKIP have already started their EU campaign with made-up facts and light xenophobia. I mean, do what you're good at, right? I just think they could have at least made the fiction a little bit more fantastical and enjoyable. You know, like this. Did you know in Turkey they kill 7,000 unicorns each year and use their tears to clean urinals with? If they join the EU, which they might using ancient goblin magic to control the brains of everyone in Brussels, then we heard that 67 nanillion of them will come over here and eat your shoes while you sleep. In Turkey, only 23 people have shoes because it's so dangerous. That's why I'm still in bed. Vote UKIP, save unicorns. Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader who somehow manages to be unpopularly popular and popularly unpopular all at once, is expected to look into complaints by the Muslim Women's Network. They've said that female Muslim councillors are being blocked from elections by male Muslim councillors. Which seems to be mainly because, due to archaic religious views, these men assume that women shouldn't be empowered in any way, proving they've clearly not watched Borgen before, and they should because it's great. Labour have naturally rejected these claims because otherwise it would look like they support some serious sexist discrimination. And after Corbyn's cabinet having a higher ratio of female to male MPs, something like this would seem a step backwards in the direction of the 1700s. The party's official response on Friday was, 
Our election selection procedures include strong positive action procedures, such as all women shortlists and rules to ensure women are selected in winnable council seats. Which not only says procedures twice in the same sentence, which, I mean, that's just bad, isn't it? That is just bad writing. But it is also the wordy equivalent of them popping their fingers in their ears and singing blurred lines very loudly until all those complaining women go away. One of the women who was hoping to run for council said that they were told by a male Labour member that Islam and feminism aren't compatible. Which is an odd statement, considering that even Saudi Arabia this year let women vote and run for municipal elections. Considering that Saudi Arabia is a country that still inflicts the death penalty on anyone accused of sorcery and witchcraft, UK Muslim men really shouldn't be lagging behind them on women's rights. So when they say Islam and feminism aren't compatible, what these Labour members probably mean is, we could get the software to make them compatible, but we don't want it taking up memory on our increasingly out-of-date machine. Shasti Gohir from the Muslim Women's Network UK said that since this story broke on BBC's Newsnight, she's been contacted by Sikh and Hindu women who have experienced the same problems. So something needs to be done ASAP, although sadly, it's probably not going to happen in time for the local elections in May, which could be an issue. Corbyn has mentioned several times that he wants to give Labour Party members a democratic revolution. I assume he didn't mean that he'd be letting some of the party turn equal rights 180 degrees. That's the end of this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Sorry it was a short and probably slightly tired episode, but that is because I am short and slightly tired. Eating waffles is very hard work. It should be back to normal standards next week, and I'm pretty sure I've got a really excellent interview lined up too that I am very excited about. Hopefully it will come off, we'll see. Again, if you do enjoy this show, please do tell other people, animals, unknown sentient beings, or intelligent AI systems, as it would be really good to get more regular listeners to make this recording worthwhile. Otherwise, I am just shouting political ire to an empty room with a microphone in it, which, to be fair, is what I do in my times off of doing this podcast. My aim, really, is to gain enough listeners for this that I can eventually make a living selling partly political-inscribed fancy dress of George Osborne builder outfits. Gotta live the dream, mate. Subscribe on the iTunes, and if you do do that, then please also give us a nice written review and a five-star rating, too. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Parpolbro or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Parpolbro, although I never really update that because it's Facebook, you know. Also, 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 a little bit of a selfish plug, I'm performing my recent solo show, The World's Full of Idiots, Let's Live in Space, in Canterbury at the Gulbenkian Theatre on February the 9th, which, by the time this comes out, is probably imminent, or you'll have missed it, but you know, I like that sort of danger. I'm also going to be doing the show at the Art House Cafe in Southampton on February the 12th and the Purbeck Literary Festival on February the 27th. If you're in London, then you can come and see me share a bill with Holly Walsh on February the 20th at the Phoenix Fringe. It's going to be like all new stuff, but at least you can say you saw me do it before I scrapped it all and started again. You can check phoenixfringe.co.uk for that listing, or my website, tianandoyeb.co.uk for all of those links I mean go on treat yourself that is if you can spell my name in the first place today's episode has been brought to you by the letters E and U and the number 123 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.